Mark Burnovich's argument before the Supreme Court on ballot harvesting in Arizona is one of the most important decisions when it comes to, one, securing our election system, and then for everyone listening in every state and in every territory, this could make a big difference. Burnovich versus DNC, the argument against that Arizona had violated essentially the Voting Rights Act and specifically Section 2. This decision has been handed down. It's a 6-3 decision. Mark, great to have you back here. Uh, You you know, Mark, you and I talked about it on one of our interviews, and I said, you know, it's hard to predict the Supreme Court. Uh, However, this one I always felt would go this route for this reason. When read and written as the Voting Rights Act exists, as your law in Arizona exists, and the Constitution, you would have to be an activist to find otherwise. We'll get into the three, the six to three, and the three against. But for the audience, Mark, I want to take time to walk through this, and I appreciate your time over the various interviews. First, the genesis, the reason for the case that leads us to your argument and then the decision. So let's start at the beginning. Thank you, David, for having me on again. And the genesis of this, uh, people in other states will recognize this pattern. So what the far left has done, what the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, has done is especially in, I'll call them the red states or swing states, they file all sorts of lawsuits to try to change the election laws to benefit them in some way. And I'm a big believer in the rule of law, which is all about consistency and certainty. And as you alluded to, David, uh, you know, the Constitution is, is so important. And if you look at the founding principles of that document and even the Voting Rights Act, what Arizona was doing was trying to ensure in voter integrity. And I have said, in fact, my first sentence out of my mouth when I argued this at the Supreme Court was, public servants have no more sacred duty than protecting the people's right to vote while maintaining confidence in the integrity of the results. And if you look at what Arizona did, limitations on ballot harvesting, you know, we laid out the argument that this is something that other states have done. It's something that no less than Jimmy Carter had identified as a problem in 2005 and said it was one of the greatest threats to elections, so Arizona had adopted a law. And then when it came to limitations on out-of-precinct voting, uh, and this came up during the argument, a majority of states have similar limitations that basically say you've got to vote in your precinct. And even the District of Columbia has that. So these aren't some radical ideas or concepts. And what bothers me so much, David, is the hypocrisy of the left where, you know, we have literally drive-through ballot drop-off sites. People can vote early. They can vote 30 days before the election. But do you know what um, – you know, we have no excuse absentee voting. But do you know what states like Delaware, Connecticut, and New York do? They require a bureaucrat to approve your absentee ballot. Do you know what New Jersey just adopted a law allowing nine days for um, uh, early voting? Well, Arizona, we have 27. So it just shows you the hypocrisy of the far left where there are all sorts of stricter limits in Democratic states. They don't have a problem with that. But then what they do is they sue states like Arizona and because they want to control our electoral process because they want to control the results. Let's uh, take us through the next steps. And Mark, again, the the audience needs to understand this, as you know, uh, because the media is not reporting it. I looked up the reporting on this case from last week to where we are. And some of the usual SCOTUS blogs and I think Federalist and some of the others. 
even on if you want to call it the non-leftist media didn't have much reporting on this but this is too important for people to understand especially state legislators who may be listening right now and i know many of them do in many states how do they take what happened here and work it forward uh in the respective states how what would you suggest the i think the court clearly sent a message that they are not going to micromanage state elections, that indeed under the Constitution, states have the ability to you know, set the time, place, and manner, the manner of the elections. And so the left, the leftist media, or the people that have covered this in the media, have tried to create this false narrative, picking up on Kagan's dissent, where they're basically saying that you either have to have voter participation or election integrity. And that really, truly is a fallacy. It's a false narrative, because... We don't need to choose between either early or more voting election integrity. You can increase voter participation and have election integrity. The key is states need to make sure that if they're passing election integrity measures, they are they're neutral, that they are designed to preserve the integrity of the process and uh, preserve the, the privacy, confidentiality, and um, the integrity and confidence in the process. And they need to make sure that it doesn't have any sort of substantial impact on any uh, minority group's ability to vote. And so, you know, if you look at Justice Alito's dis, uh, opinion on this, I mean, he clearly said states have the ability to enact prophylactic measures to ensure the integrity of the ballot process. There is a state interest in that. And so I think it's really important to recognize, as I said, that there's a lot of hypocrisy on the left when it comes to, you know, the things that they're doing, you know, where some states on the left, the states northeast especially, don't even allow no-excuse absentee balloting. They limit the time of early balloting. Um, You know, so there's all sorts of things that leftist states do that haven't been challenged that are much more restrictive. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that the states do have the ability to enact common-sense election integrity measures. And I do think, I, you're right, David, the way some of the mainstream media has portrayed this, but at the end of the day, this was probably, I think most court watchers, most people recognize, the most important decision, um, or one of the most important. And I'm just proud that I was able to step in when other elected officials didn't. That's literally why the case is named after me, Brnovich v. DNC. And, you know, as, as a lawyer... Having the ability to once again argue with the U.S. Supreme Court on such a monumental case is, I think, going to be one of the highlights of my career. And I was joking with some folks here that, you know, for years, even after I'm AG, people don't know how to spell my name, but I was joking after the case. I said, well, there's going to be a generation of law students that are going to be cursing my name because they're all going to have to spell it now because this is probably the most, this will be the most important election case, at least for the next decade or two. Well, I I think it is, and I think combined with other things that you and I have discussed and what we see happening in other states, whether it be organizational or from the attorney general's office uh, to take on these issues and combined with legislators, we're seeing a necessary uh, seed change, and I don't know what this grows into, Mark, but as you and I know, in order for the states to govern their elections, they have to take it back from the federal government that has for decades tried to insert themselves. Let's let's go a little bit further on the responsibility, and not just to the people listening, but to other attorney generals out there. Uh, again, the DNC wrongfully claimed that the Arizona law violated the Voting Rights Act, Section 2. You argued ex- ex- successfully against this, as we now see in the decision, 
But what would you say to other attorney generals out there in actions they could take? And I look, I don't care what side of the aisle they come from, but if they want fair elections and a process, what would you say to them? I think it's clear the decision and Justice Leto, you know, you said it was a 6-3 decision. Justice Leto said that it would be inappropriate to read Section 2 to impose any sort of strict necessity requirements. And states do not need to demonstrate that they have that um, the, the reason necessarily for uh, enacting common sense election integrity measures. So what that means is that states do have the ability and, and they have the need to ensure the integrity of the election process, and they need to make sure that people have confidence in the results. And so, you know, this is the thing, David. There was a time not that long ago that even the Democrats agreed on this. I mean, in 2012, the New York Times had articles and was writing op-eds about the dangers of mail-in ballot. And now, you know, they, you know, don't seem to care about that anymore. Same thing, as I said, with the Baker-Carter Commission that Jimmy Carter co-chaired. Look at what the Democratic states are doing. So I think it's important that if folks are principled, if they're conservative, they want the integrity of elections, they need to ensure that that there are people out there that understand and push back against the left's narrative. Because one of the things that even the Biden administration, right after this decision, the Biden administration was very critical of it and used all sorts of inflammatory language. And literally, David, they filed a brief that said, you know, because the court asked them to weigh in, which isn't unusual. So they asked the Biden administration to weigh in. And the Biden administration said that they had some problems, some issues with our test, but that they felt both of these statutes were consistent with the Voting Rights Act. And to me, that just exposes, once again, the hypocrisy of the far left, where you get all these you know, senators and the president going out saying all sorts of inflammatory things that, you know, that this is racist, this is this, this is terrible. And yet you have all these Democratic states with even more restrictions, and you have the old administration taking a contrary position in court than they necessarily are saying now. So I think it's important that we need to push back and not let the left set the narrative. And I'm just lucky. I'm just thankful that, you know, um, the left tried to argue that somehow these laws are racist and the mainstream media may have echoed some of those talking points even afterwards. But luckily, the district court and the United States Supreme Court disagreed with that assessment. Again, what was upheld and argued by my guest, Mark Vernovich, uh, Arizona Attorney General, that Arizona's out-of-precinct policy in HB 2023 do not violate uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and that HB 2023 was not enacted with a racially discriminatory purpose. You know, you talk about the narrative versus the reality, even the Biden administration, what they say off the camera versus on the camera, Mark. And, and, you know, this just points to a raw power grab to use any means necessary, even when false. So let's go to the dissent a little bit more on this case. Uh, to me, a case that's there that is clear in, in its in both the law's intent as written, the Constitution as it exists, the dissent is an activist or a political angle. We've seen this on the court before. Uh, do you have anything else to say to those who dissented on this? Uh, just that if you, even once again, if you read Justice Alito's uh, decision, I mean, he points out that the dissent strains um, mightily to obscure its objective and that the reality is, is that they spend 20 pages discussing matters that have little to, uh, to do with the questions that were before the court. And they regurgitate a lot of left-wing talking points 
And I think that it's important to understand the historical background of why this, the Voting Rights Act was passed. Um, it, was, it was a very important piece of legislation. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you need to, if you're a judge especially, or you're an attorney general, you need to look at these laws objectively, and you have to look at them in context. And so the fact that, for example, a majority of states have limitations out of precinct voting, even the District of Columbia, I mean, that shows you that this isn't some radical idea or concept. The fact that states in the Northeast, Delaware, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, have much stricter requirements when it comes to how you get your ballot or early voting, um, just shows that you have to take this stuff in context and shame on the left and shame on anyone who's being intellectually dishonest by trying to cherry pick what this state may be doing or that state may be doing purely for political reasons. And I think that that's the great danger that I worry about in this country. If you believe in the rule of law, we cannot have this politicized judiciary. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, not only am I an AG, I'm running for the Senate because we need to make sure we have great judges on the federal bench because that is actually, as we move forward, I think one of the greatest threats to the Constitution. Yeah, and we're going to get to a discussion on the Senate uh, in a moment. I, I want to work through a couple of other things. Uh, how important, Mark, while the states govern the elections as they should, how important is it to have a more uniform set of standards and laws across the states? And the reason I ask that question is because as people move from states to states, as we have a mobile population, a migrating population for various reasons, familial business or otherwise, uniform standards are, in my opinion, necessary to keep a society more cohesive than not. And with our election laws, I feel as if that is important to the integrity and the process. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it depends... You know, that, that's a very broad question, and it depends on the circumstances. So, for example, I am adamantly opposed to, you know, S-1 and H-R-1, which nationalize our elections, uh, because, you know, what works in Manhattan, Kansas, may not work in, you know, Manhattan, New York, and what uh, how an election proceeds in Redondo Beach may be different than how it proceeds in Pacific Beach. So I do think that the states have to, have to have the ability, especially when it comes to down-ballot races, local elections, to have that ability to control those and to make sure that there's the integrity of the results. And I just worry that nationally, when you have Democrats far left, the far left wants to nationalize everything, whether it's our tax and spend policies, whether it's opening up our borders. And so the big concern is, is that you cannot concentrate power in D.C. and you cannot have D.C., you know, basically controlling, you know, all these different, uh, you know, different elections and, and trying to, you know, centralize power. That being said, David, I do think it's important that anytime there's a constitutional violation, if some state or some government, any government, is violating someone's constitutional rights or individual liberty, I mean, that's what the Constitution is designed to do. It's designed to protect against the tyranny of the majority, to protect the rights of the minority, and whether that's, you know, owning a handgun to protect yourself or a rifle to protect yourself, whether that's the ability to speak out and to petition the government, you know, whether it's, you know, against the government spying on us. And, you know, so I, I think it's important to recognize that the Constitution, there has to be standards when it comes to protecting our rights, and we want consistency and certainty. And that's why this case, Brnovich v. DNC, was important, because it's the court basically telling the lower courts, including the Ninth Circuit, to knock it off and stop you know, politicizing these decisions. And at the end of the day, it's all about making sure 
that, um, you know, we have judges that understand their role is not to make the law, but to enforce the law. And as Hamilton said in Federalist 78, David, you know, the judiciary is supposed to be the least dangerous branch of government because it has neither the power of the purse nor the sword. Right. And by the way, just for clarity, I'm talking about standards, not centralizing. I just want to make that for the audience okay. out there. Sorry. This is a, in, no, no, not to you. You, you. By standards, you know, states that are, that do the right thing, the closer we are to what the states should do is what I'm talking about, a uniformity in standard, not in not in laws. You and I are on board with that. But some in the audience, I, my question probably wasn't as clear as it could have been. Uh, something else you did in Arizona. And, Mark, I, can you hold on through the break so we can get into the Senate talk, by the way? I want to have one last question, go to break, and come back. I don't uh, want to short. Yeah, but i got to be really quick, David, because i got to run. All so, right, so we'll, yeah. just take, we'll just take this longer. One question, we'll get to the Senate run. Something that Arizona did, and I hope others take a lesson from this. Okay. Go back to 2019 in your legislative session. All the things you're talking about, you bolster by having processes in place. The Electorate Integrity Unit that was created, criminal prosecutors, civil attorneys, special agents, administrative employees, uh, you know, this was important to having a working system uh, just to those points, uh, more states, I believe, should take that up. What are you doing with that now with this decision? We are making sure that we are doing everything we can to you know, create confidence in the results. I mean, there's only so much we can do. Part of it always, not only in Arizona but other states, is sometimes the jurisdiction of the AG's office is limited. But there's a lot of stuff we've done. You know, when we got uh, you know, complaints or we got issues, uh, regard, uh, allegations of dead people voting. We've gone through some of the voter rules now to look at that. And, you know, some of this, uh, so, you know, we're trying to drill down to the bottom of that. We just recently indicted someone on a, on a ballot harvesting case. Um, so we have that case pending. So, you know, it's a matter of, you know, trying to get the resources and the jurisdiction, but I think it's important that folks have a place where they can go if they have complaints. And, you know, my big thing I always tell folks, though, is that, you know, look, as a prosecutor, you have to deal in facts and evidence and not just rumor, innuendo, or speculation. And so, you know, one of the things I think that, uh, you know, we always need to recognize is, you know, as we went through, I think, more than 400 complaints about, for example, people who are dead voting. I mean, I know our agents went out to someone's house, and the person was very much alive who was surprised that we showed up. So, you know, we just need to make sure that, uh, you know, when we uh, – talk about stuff or, you know, with these issues that uh, there we have facts and evidence. And when we get those, our office follows up on them. All right. Now, look, I've held you long enough. So, guys, well, let's do this. Let's rebook Mark. I want to talk about your Senate run. There's a lot of policy issues on the table. I appreciate your time, Mark. And I always you, do. David. You go the distance, but these are important issues. Uh, Burnovich is B R N O four A Z dot com. B R N O. F-O-R-A-Z.com. Mark, I'll plug it away on the other side. I know you got to run, you, David. my friend. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thanks a lot. Again. Thanks, everybody.